I stand over this way. <laughs> I can hardly see over the <laughs> pulpit there. Um, together we give. The scripture this year is Matthew 18 and verse 20. But I went to verse 19 just to, to get it started. It says, I also tell you this. If two, or three, if two of you agree down here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together because they are mine, I am there among them. Now, an important character of the early church was the desire to share what they had with each other to ensure the needs of the community was met. Because of their desire to share their financial blessing with the community, no one lacked. This example we can find in the word of God. His people, what we can accomplish when we come together and give our best to Mother's Memorial, our latest ministries. The Gospel of Mark and Luke both had an incident involving a widow's gift to God. She didn't give much. Or did she? She gave two mites. The story of her giving is recorded in Matthew, chap Mark chapter 12 and Luke chapter 21. Jesus watched as the rich was contributing large sums of money, but then along came a widow who, with two small coins in her hand. The ESV calls it two small copper coins, which makes a penny. That's Mark 12, 41. The King James Version called it mites, called the coins mites. These were the smallest denominations of coins. The widow put her coins in the box, and Jesus called his disciples to him and pointed out her, her actions. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasure than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. That's recorded in Mark 12, 43 and 44, and Luke 21, verse 1 through 4. Now, there are several things the story of the widow's might teaches us. First, God sees what man overlooks. The big gift is that in the temple was surely noticed by people. That is probably what the disciples were watching. But Jesus saw what no one else did. He saw the humble gift of a poor widow. This was the gift that Jesus thought worthy of comment. This was a gift that the disciples needed to be aware of. The other gifts of the treasury that day was made of a lot of noise as they jingled in the receptacles, but the widow's might was heard in heaven. Second, God's assessment is different from man. According to man's tabulation, the widow's two mice added up to a penny, but Jesus said she had given more than anyone else that day, Mark 12 and 43. So how could this be when many rich people threw in large amounts? The difference is one proportion of one proportion. The rich were given large sums, but they still remained their fortune. The widow put in everything, all she had to live on. That was a true sacrifice. Third, God commends giving in faith. Here was a woman in need of receiving charity, yet she had a heart to give. What could a widow's mite buy? Thought about that? What can a penny buy? 
Not very much. Many would say it was too small or unimportant to be worth considering. However, I believe she gave it in faith that God could use it. Now, by no means am I encouraging you to give two mites to Mother's Memorial, but I am encouraging you to give sacrificially and know that whatever you give, God can use it and remember that he loves a cheerful giver. The widow's faith is also evident in the fact that she gave the last of her money. Although the scriptures are not explicit as to what happened to her, I believe that the Lord took care of all of his needs. Doesn't he do that for us? Doesn't he take care of, of all our needs when we sacrificially give it to him? Now, the missions of the latest ministries is to equip and mobilize apostolic ladies of the world for the service in the kingdom of God. To maintain a spirit of cooperation with the various ministries of the organization to preserve apostolic doctrine. And to maintain the heritage of the past to the present and future generations throughout teaching and by example. Now, within the Alaska Yukon District, the latest ministers help with various needs that arise in the Alaska Yukon District. You have been, all of you, churches within this district has been a tremendous blessing in providing financial support so our young people may be involved in missionary work within the district by going to various churches with the district to help the pastors in their outreach to help the community. That is just one example of the many things that the money that you give do in this, in this, within this district. Now, we know that, um, uh, that we've, uh, you know, purchased a stove at the at campground. Uh, we help with the airplane ministries. We, you know, we, our latest ministries help with so many different things, foreign ministries. Uh, we give money to um, the, the uh, pastor's children for birthday gifts. We give our Christmas gift and, and a lot of those things. So when you sacrificially give, God blesses you, and he also blesses those that receive from you. Last year, our offering for the Alaska Yukon District was $39,020. So I set a new goal this year. I talked to Sister Churchill about it. I said, do you think this is too high? And she said, oh, no. So I set a goal for $50,000 <laughs> for, for the district this year. So I'm asking you together, let us put forth our best effort to enhance the kingdom of God by giving our best to Mother's Memorial. And together, we can do it. So God bless you, and thank you. Thank you very much for all that you do for latest ministries and giving to the kingdom of God. Isn't it wonderful to feel the presence of God? I am so thankful for his wonderful presence and how it refreshes my soul over and over. Before I bring the speaker this morning, I need to make one more announcement for those of you who may not have heard in the past. Every year for several years now, we have been doing mission trips with our money. That's one of the things that we have you know, Brother Crumpacker, uh, many of you don't remember them. They've been 
uh, passed away several years ago in a plane crash, but he used to say he didn't like the word proud, but I'll have to be honest with you. I'm real proud of all of our young people who have gone on these mission trips over the years. <laughs> we noticed uh, this year when we had the uh, young ministers that were seeking licensing uh, meet the board, I, I just wanted to run in there to the board and say, look, guys, look who these kids are. They're our mission trip kids that are getting their licenses to preach because I was so excited about it. And some of them are just, they are just doing wonderful things for God. I am so excited about their dedication to God, and it makes me so excited. But um, until just a couple, well, every other year, they do this big national thing called NAYC, a North American Youth Congress. And at first, not a lot of our Alaskan kids were going to that because it's quite expensive and takes a, a chunk out of the summer. But then as it's gone on and on, more and more of our Alaskan young people are wanting to go to that. And I think that is a wonderful thing. Um, this year they have the Lucas Oil Stadium, the football stadium in Indianapolis, Indiana, that seats 60,000. They put the tickets on sale at a certain time, and uh, I had asked my daughter, Kim, you know, will you get our tickets for us right away? And she was on the phone, and at a quarter past the time that they went on sale, 30,000 tickets had been sold. So this is a big thing, a very big thing. I at first thought that it was the largest youth gathering in the United States of any, any religious organization, I've since found out that there, there is a couple others that are bigger than that, but they're not teaching the truth or preaching the truth. And our kids are going where they will have a chance to meet other kids from all over the United States and the world even because some missionary children are coming in, I know for sure, to this. And that was just within 15 minutes they had 30,000 tickets sold. So I have no idea how many, but the stadium seats 60,000. And so after some prayer and thinking about it and uh, looking at our missions trips, I had to think, now, Lord, you know, there's just, you just give us so much time and so much money. And so let's think what would be wise to do here. And I pray that I made a wise decision. But the decision was that on the odd years, which this is an odd year, 2017, that's when the NAYC is taking place. This year in Indianapolis. Uh, last year it was in Oklahoma, I think. But our two years ago it was in Oklahoma. So it's just every other year. So I thought, you know, with camp going on and the kids come to camp and they pay money and they take time out of their summer for that, then they barely get out of camp and here we hit the road on all these mission trips. Last year, we had several mission trips going on, and they were all at different times, and some of the kids went on more than one, and so their summer was well eaten up and with these mission trips. And, and then NAYC, on top of that, if we do the NAYC, then here they go again, leaving again. So what we're doing is we'll do the mission trips on the even years, 
and we'll leave those odd years open so that they can go to NAYC. And I'm not sure how many we have going from Alaska, but I know for sure that between Sitka and Kenai, it's 18 <laughs> right there. So I don't know how many Sister Shrack has going. I don't know how many Life has going. How many, Sister Shrack? Nine. There we go. And kids all over the district. And this is a wonderful opportunity for them to go and fellowship and to really understand that they're not isolated. They're not alone. There are teenagers all over who are serving God and dedicated to God. So I really, really wanted them to have a chance to go to NAYC. So that is why we have cut back on the mission trips. I pray that this will work. But you know what? <clears throat> when I first started teaching school, the, um, the, well, it was not when I first started because I was at the university um, uh, teaching there first. But then when I moved out to Delaware and I taught in a middle school, I was so excited to uh, be able to teach a fifth grade class. And, you know, you make these lesson plans and uh, in these big lesson plan books, and they had to be turned in every Friday night for next week, and somebody would check them, the curriculum guide person for your level, and they'd check them, make sure you were really going where you're supposed to be. And I was thinking to myself, whoo I'm going to make really good lesson plans because I can use them again next year, only to find out that the policy of that school was you don't teach the same grade level twice, and you don't teach the same subject twice. Because we were at middle school, so you taught by subjects as well as the grade level. And I was like, what? I have to change next year? New lesson plans? And my word, there are four different levels of classes here, and over 1,200 students. I'm going to be writing lesson plans forever and changing all the time. But it was the most marvelous thing that could have ever happened to me because even though I am an old woman, I am not stagnated. I can change just like that. <laughs> and so if it doesn't work, we just try something better. So that's the way this is going to be. If this doesn't work, we'll change again. Or I won't be president anymore, but I'll put a burr in whoever is. But, but it can be changed. So this isn't locked in, but let's try it. And so that's why this year our Mother's Memorial money will accumulate, will be in even better shape then for mission trips next summer. And I, while I'm at it, there is a need in our district that I have identified. The board has not given me permission yet to pursue it, but Sister Parrish and I do know how to twist some board members' arms. And Sister Yaden, you're here. You're a board member, and there may be other board members here. But... We are in desperate need of some sort of lift of some sort or a ramp, which is not really being practical because of the length of the ramp to get the right angle, to get up to the dorms in, at camp. And you can especially think about it right now because there's just no way Sister Carnley is going to be able to make it upstairs to a dorm anymore. And there are others who cannot do that either. So we're really, really, really thinking. And I pretty much talked Brother, well, I have, have talked Brother Denny into it. Let's just accept the whole thing. <laughs> um, I've talked Brother Denny into it, and we have come up with an idea of putting a, an actual, like, a little elevator 
down at the end of the cafeteria that will go up and take on, come out in room number one upstairs on the men's side. And, um, and it would just work really well because somebody can roll right in that downstairs in their wheelchair, get in that elevator and whip right upstairs and have a dorm room. The problem is right now we're looking at insurance on that and what what that would entail. But but that's a need that we really have in our district. And so if that works out, some of our ladies' mothers' memorial money will go toward that. So I think we have to, we are women, we look around, we see needs. I said to the board a couple years ago, maybe three years ago, I said, you know, we don't have any access to those dorms for people who are handicapped. And they were like, what? Uh, is that a thought? <laughs> but, you know, we women, we see that before those men do. But that's something that we need to, we need to be thinking about. And so if the insurance can be worked out, and if I can talk the board into it, that will be one of our big projects that we are going to do for our camp, and I think it will be a very worthwhile need. Um, I'm getting up there in my age, and I, it may not be very long till those st stairs are a little too difficult for me, too. So um, I will really like to have a lift. <laughs> but anyway, pray about that. So that I just wanted to explain to you, because some have had a misunderstanding. They thought the mission trips are done. That is not the goal. That is not what we're doing. We're just simply trying to be practical in our time and our monies. Uh, although we're not paying for any of the NAYC. That, that's up to the individual churches and their, and their uh, teenagers. But that's why we're not having a mission trip this summer. I'm so excited for our speaker today. She just happens to be related to me. I will never deny that I have two beautiful daughters and wonderful daughters, and I'm very thankful for both of them and how they support their mother and everything I do. I get these wild and crazy ideas, and I have two girls who just step right behind me and say, okay, Mom, let's go with it. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that she is a pastor's wife in Sitka, Alaska, and they're doing a wonderful work there. I'm thankful that she's a mother of my two grandsons, and I'm grateful for her giving me those two beautiful, handsome boys, and thankful that she serves God with all of her heart. So my daughter, Kristen Rathbun, and Jesus. Amen. God bless everybody this morning. So good to see all of you here, and what a fantastic service we had last night. The presence of the Lord just swept across this place. And I know that I can say for myself, I think Sister Lumpkin was absolutely in the will of God the way she ministered to us. In 1886, Louisa Stead and her husband took their 10-year-old daughter, Lily, to enjoy a sunny day at the beach on Long Island Sound, New York. But their picnic lunch was interrupted by cries for help. And when they looked out into the ocean, they saw a boy fighting to stay above the water. Mr. Stead immediately jumped up and charged into the sea, but the struggling boy pulled his rescuer under the water with him. And both drowned before the terrified eyes of wife and daughter. 
Out of her wise struggle with God during the ensuing days, Louisa Stead penned the words to a song that I'd like for you to stand and join with me in singing. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise just to know the saith the church has been a source of comfort, hope, and peace to many who have sung it. But I wonder how many of you might agree with me that you often feel like a hypocrite when you sing those words. Anxious and frustrated, distressed and fretful, apprehensive and fearful, those words would be more accurate in describing how I often feel when trusting Jesus. The Oxford Dictionary defines trust as a firm belief in the re reliability, the truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. Trust can also be defined as a verb, actions based on having confidence or trust in someone or something. On an action level, trust involves being able to do something without fear 
or misgiving. Many psychologists and doctors believe that basic trust is absolutely necessary for the healthy psychological development of an individual. But life has a way of helping us to realize that not everyone is trustworthy. Not everyone has the capability to do what they say. I like to call them big talkers. Um, how many of you met somebody who's like that? Boy, especially in church work. You might have a planning meeting and somebody there, man, they have the greatest ideas. And they're going to get right on top of that. And then all of a sudden that day shows up and you show up and people show up and there was no follow through with those great ideas. Big talk. Not everyone chooses to do what they say. We might call them big liars. <laughs> and not everyone has pure motives for what they say. We might call them big users. But through those, we learn. I, can't, I, can't, I just can't trust that person. And that is usually a heartbreaking realization that will then forever affect your relationships. The old saying, trust once lost cannot easily be regained. I read, to forgive someone who hurt you might be difficult, but to trust them again is next to impossible. How sad it is not to trust a boss, a friend, a parent, a child, a sibling, or even your spouse. A boss who promised a promotion that just never materialized. A friend who betrayed something that you had shared in confidence. A parent who was supposed to be your protector that instead became your abuser. A child whose decisions have been a disappointment to your devotion. A sibling whose disloyalty has fractured your family unit. Or a spouse whose disregard for your marriage vows has left your heart, dreams, and aspirations in shambles. And the underlying question that pervades our mind is, how can I trust in the Lord with all my heart if he would allow this heartbreak to happen to me? And unfortunately, I don't have the answer. But I can tell you the proper response. Job chapter 1, verses 21 through 22 Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then this is so powerful to me. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Remember, in all things, God defines what is good 
and what is bad. And standing with us in eternity one day will be countless faithful saints who suffered horrific loss and yet displayed unwavering trust in God. And on the flip side, not trusting God does not mean that you still won't face horrific heartbreak. Now, the Bible itself supports, I believe, three fundamental truths in regard to trusting God. Number one, it doesn't always make sense to trust in Jesus. Trusting Jesus is counter-cultural. Did it make sense for Noah to build an ark? Did it make sense for Abraham to leave Ur? Did it make sense for Joshua to walk around the walls of Jericho? Did it make sense for David to fight a giant with a slingshot? Did it make sense for Jehoshaphat to send out singers to fight a battle? Does it make sense to seek first the kingdom of God and not your education, not your career, not your self-interest? Does it make sense to pray for your enemies rather than defend yourself against them? Does it make sense to bless those who persecute you rather than to seek riot or revenge? Does it make sense to not worry but instead to pray? No, that will never make sense. But what happens when you step out and obey the word of God and the voice of God in your life? It takes you out of control. And suddenly God is in control. And then God will control the outcome of what we trust him with. And this is hard to understand, ladies, but this life is not the outcome of what we go through. Eternity is the outcome of what we are going through. And you may go to your grave not ever understanding why. But by and by, when the morning comes, when all the saints of God are gathered home, we will understand it better by and by. In every biblical example of a person stepping out and doing what made no earthly sense, God proved himself true. And we can stand in the year 2017 and trust that he hasn't changed. Malachi 3, 6, for I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still calls us to do the senseless so that we can trust him to do the impossible. Number two, it doesn't always fit our timetable to trust in Jesus. Trusting God often goes hand in hand with being patient with God. I have found my two new favorite quotes. I want to get a t-shirt with this on it. I wish I was as thin as my patients. <laughs> Isn't that awesome, Corrine? 
I would be anorexic. (laughs) And I thought this one was so cute. Bless me with patience. Not the opportunity to be patient. I've had plenty of those, and they don't seem to be working. (laughs) But honestly, how much trouble is brought into a life by not trusting God's timing? Ask Sarah if she had wished that she had trusted God's timing before giving Hagar to Abraham. In 2017, our world is reaping the decision that Sarah made by stepping out of God's timing. Ask Israel if they had wished they had waited for Moses before building a golden calf. Ask Saul if he wished that he'd waited for Samuel before sacrificing. It cost him his kingdom. Ask those who didn't tarry in the upper room. God's timing is not man's timing. Don't grow impatient with God. There is a time and there is a season. Look at the seven years between Joseph's dreams and their fulfillment. Look at the 15 years that David was anointed king before he sat on the throne. 15 years. And not just 15 years of waiting, 15 years of heartache and running, questioning. Look at the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible says they died not having received the promise. But Luke chapter 21 verse 19 instructs us, In patience possess ye your souls. Isaiah 40, 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Habakkuk 2, verse 3, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not a lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. If God has given you a promise, Hold on to that promise. Don't grow impatient. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? My husband reminds me all the time, patience is the only boat that's going to get us to heaven. Don't jump out of the boat. Last but not least, number three, it is sometimes very painful to trust in Jesus. When I walked in last night and greeted Sister Parrish and she shared the news to me about Brother and Sister Farmer losing their second son in less in two weeks. My heart broke within me. Can you imagine? I cannot imagine what Sister Farmer is going through right now. And then to find out they're in revival. She went to church last night. 
I'm sure all she's getting through on right now is her trust in Jesus, and I'm sure it is very painful. Ask Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Abraham, when God said, take your son, your only son, and offer him to me. David running from Saul. Daniel in the lion's den. The three Hebrew boys in the furnace. John the Baptist, James, Peter, Matthew, every disciple except John the Beloved died a horrific death trusting in Jesus. Paul in prison. Paul at the chopping block. You see, trusting God is not about what is done to me, but rather what is done through me. And that is why choosing to trust what God calls you to do, when God calls you to do it, and what God calls you to be will be the hardest thing you ever do. James Dobson said, to believe God can do something miraculous is one thing. To risk his willingness to do it in your life is another. Thus the power of the three Hebrews boys' statement, if he doesn't deliver us, we still won't bow. If he doesn't heal my body, I still won't bow. If my child breaks my heart, I still won't bow. So how can it be sweet to trust in Jesus? Simply because he gave us his word. That's the only answer I can give you. Psalms 37 verses 4 through 5. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Psalms 9, 10, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Psalms 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield, and my heart trusteth in him. And I am helped, therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise him. Psalms 112.7, he shall not be afraid of evil tidings, for his heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Isaiah 26 verse 3, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Jeremiah 17, 7, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And my favorite, Psalms 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. 
I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Charles Blondin was the foremost tightrope walker of his time. He gained worldwide fame in 1859 as the first person to cross Niagara Falls. Harry Colcord was his friend and manager. A cable made entirely of hemp, 1,300 feet long and two inches in diameter, was wound around an oak tree on the American side, while the other end was ferried across the Niagara River and secured to a Canadian rock. To limit swaying, Colcord had stabilizing guy ropes affixed at 20-foot intervals to anchor on both banks, except for 50 unreachable feet in the center, which swagged and swayed dangerously. Thanks to Colcord's savvy marketing, tens of thousands of spectators gathered for the spectacle. Gamblers took bets on whether Blondin would fall and die and vendors hawked everything, everything from lemonade to liquor. Shortly before 5 o'clock p.m. on June 30, 1859, Blondin started his slow walk from the American side. Once he passed the center section, he broke into a run. After a brief rest on the Canadian side, he started back again, but this time toting a box camera on his back. Balancing precariously near the middle, Blondin carefully set up the camera and snapped a picture of the crowd. Then he repacked his burden and continued the rest of the way. The entire round trip took 23 minutes. Once safely back on American soil, Blondin immediately announced a series of encore performances, each more daring than the last, and the press ate it up. Over several weeks, Blondin walked backward, blindfolded, backflipped, and pushed a wheelbarrow. He even cooked an omelet during one of his many trips across the rope. In August 1859, after he had crossed to the Canadian side, the crowd was horrified as Blondin reappeared on the rope with his manager, Harry Colcord, clinging to his back. A few guy ropes snapped during their transit, but Blondin never wavered and safely made the crossing. It was later reported that Blondin had told his manager, don't look down, always look up, Harry, and trust me, you are no longer Colcord. You are Blondin. Until I clear the place, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Whatever you do, do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. We are walking in uncharted times. The only one, the only one, not Facebook, not the media, not Hollywood, not the White House, the only one who knows what is going on 
is Jesus Christ. And the safest place for us is on his shoulders to no longer be ourselves, but to trust him, be a part of him, mind, body, and soul. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If it seems he is taking you in a certain direction, go. Do not attempt to correct his plan, help his plan, or alter his plan. Just trust his plan. I am sure that there are many women here today that if they got up and began sharing what they are going through, the majority of, of us would be extremely, extremely humbled. Heartache that we don't know. But as we stand, I want to invite you, if you are going through a situation that just seems to be making no sense, if God is calling you to do something that doesn't seem to make any sense, if God is calling you to wait on something that you are so wanting to happen right now, I want to invite you as we sing this course again to come to the front, raise your hands and say, God, I just need grace to trust you more so that I will be what you want me to be, when you want me to be it, and how you want me to be it. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just